Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Very interesting guest that we're going to get to shortly, Rick. We have Brian Mast, Republican uh, member of Congress from the great state of Florida, uh, who also happens to be the one and only Republican who both carries a concealed 9mm and favors an assault weapons ban. Yeah, taking a bold stand in the wake of the Parkland tragedy in, in a moment that has impacted politics up and down, starting in Florida with the state legislature is uh, roiled in a brand new debate and all through Washington where the big question is, what is President Trump going to do? Because we are seeing the legislative week slip by without any action. Uh, it's a it's a half week because of the Billy Graham funeral and there's, there's a lot of other complicating factors around all of this, but the sense of uh, something has to happen, something must be done, is fast running into to the political realities that have always dominated the gun debate. Well, we know what he said he would have done uh, if he had been there uh, at um, in Parkland at the time of, of the shooting. Uh, this was a kind of an odd riff. Of course, the context is he's talking about the deputy, uh, possibly four deputies who, uh, who who did not go into the school who theoretically could have. Um, so just let me just play a little bit of this. You know, I really believe you don't know until you test it. But I think I, I really believe I'd run in there even if I didn't have a weapon. And I think most of the people in this room would have done that, too, because I know most of you. So uh, he would have run in. Yeah. But Easy could, one to, <laughs> to say in retrospect. Sure. Have, have you ever seen the president run? <laughs> Not witnessed. I have not witnessed uh, that kind of motion by the president. But look, I whatever the, whatever the, the the details of this, and it was a riff on the fact that the uh, that the deputy, at least one deputy, did not go in, as you mentioned. Uh, the, there's a there's a broader point in all of this, which is the uh, surrounds the president's response at that same appearance. He was talking to the the National Governors Association. He said, "Don't worry about the NRA guys. Don't worry about the NRA. They're going to be with us. And if they're not with us, don't worry about that anyway." This president came out. Pretty strong in the in the in the aftermath of Parkland. Would you agree? Saying we need to change the age limits. We need to get a lot tougher on background checks. Suggested maybe universal background maybe, checks, which maybe is anathema to the NRA. Now I mean, we don't know what he really wants to do because he's not overly specific. But that seemed to be what he was saying. That's right. But he's also lunching with the NRA at the very time he lets it slip that he. Hey, you know, I don't know if you know this, but Nixon was a great Cold Warrior, and you know what he did. Went to China. He went to China. He went to China. This is this is not Nixon going to China. I hate to burst your bubble on this uh, as, our, as our chief White House God, correspondent there, really... John. Uh, lunching with the NRA is a little bit friendlier of a crowd than that, uh, and uh, I think it's I think. But it's... the point is, this is the guy that could take on the NRA, Rick. You're missing the whole Nixon goes to China, Rick, 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 Rick. John, 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 John. You can't. Be this We've naive. never had a more pro <laughs> NRA president in our in ever, uh, and you know he's having lunch with the NRA. He could put his arm around Wayne LaPierre and say, you know what, Wayne? We're going to... We're going to do those background checks. We're going to make that happen. Assault weapons ban, maybe. Take me on. I don't see so. I don't see it. I don't see yeah, it. I, I don't think. I don't think this is the president. And this is the time to do it. I think this is a different moment. Uh, we've talked and we've covered here on the podcast what makes this moment different. Partly, the, the the voices of the powerful voices of these teenagers who were impacted directly. We're seeing this this royal politics throughout the country. 
I don't think at the end of the day you're going to see a Congress that is willing to take this on as big in as big a way as even the president said. And I think ultimately the president ends up pulling some punches and comes out with a much more modest package of uh, of gun reform legislation, some of which has been out there in the past, I, and also his proposal to make sure that lots of teachers get get access to weapons if they want them. That that seems like it's on his mind. Can I play one more little riff that he you're had? Allowed, John, you're, it's your uh, show. Do you mind? Okay, so he he also was. Talking up this proposal about, you know, uh, and, and it, it's been in, by the way, let, let's just be clear. He is not saying arm teachers. He's not. And, and this has been shorthanded as the president's proposal to arm teachers. What he is saying is allow teachers who are qualified and trained to carry their own concealed weapons to school. Okay, so it's a, it's a difference. I sure. mean, he's, he's not proposing, like, handing out guns, <laughs> you know, uh, to teachers on the way into the classroom. He's saying if you have certain teachers who are qualified and uh, go through some training, that they can carry their own concealed weapons. Okay, so, but, um, again, there was this very strange riff where he talked about the kind of people that he would allow or like to see allowed to do this being people that are trained but also have this natural aptitude to use a gun. And then he compared it to golf. I want highly trained people that have a natural talent, like hitting a baseball or hitting a golf ball or putting. How come some people always make the four-footer and some people under pressure can't even take their club back, right? Some people can't take their club back. So anyway, but but Rick, enough about that. We're, we're, again, we're going to be talking to Brian Mast. We will get into uh, into the gun debate. But one other bit of news I want to quickly touch on. We just had some breaking news as we were coming in, getting ready to do this podcast. We have a re-election campaign, a new campaign manager for Trump's re-election. It is amazing. Donald Trump's running for re-election, we guess, because he has this campaign manager. It's a name that's become maybe more famous in recent months. Brad Parscale, who ran the digital efforts for the campaign. He got himself featured on 60 Minutes. He's gotten lots of praise from uh, President Trump, Jared Kushner, who took the digital operation under his own wing. He's going to be the campaign manager for Trump 2020. And, and John, I know you have got some insight on this because it, it makes perfect sense that President Trump is announcing his re-election campaign and his campaign manager here in, in February uh, of 2018 because X. Uh, Fill in the blank. Come on. Uh, Pop quiz. Uh, Come on. There's got to be a reason. I don't I don't know. I, I, I've, yeah. I've well, asked. We should, I don't know why you're announcing your campaign manager three years out. I don't I don't know why. To be to be fair, it's less than three years out, though, right? True. I mean, true. the campaign's I mean, going to start. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're you know we're only two years away from Iowa, say, in yeah, New Hampshire. Yeah. But uh, and we do know the president filed for reelection on the day of his inauguration, so which was a record when he did it to allow fundraising to to begin. Yeah, uh, it's one of these areas that strikes me that he's breaking with convention and saying, "Why do I need to dance around the fact I'm running for for another term?" Uh, the other presidents have held on to this as some kind of a of a deep dark secret. That's not how the, this president uh, likes to operate. Uh, maybe he's just trying to squelch some of the speculation out there. I mean, you talked to John Kasich uh, just uh, a couple of days ago. John is featured uh, on our podcast here and on this week, uh, who's talking about potentially running if something were to happen with Donald Trump not running or if it was an independent. So maybe just trying to quiet all of that. But otherwise, it just it, it's an odd thing. It's an odd piece of uh, thing that just happens in the middle of a news cycle for no apparent reason. Welcome to Trump's world. But can I give you a little a little insight on Pascal? It's kind of interesting kind of back, backstory. So, you know, he was in some ways portrayed 
after the victory as being one of the architects of the victory because beneath the radar he did so much in terms of the digital uh the, the digital component of this using facebook uh using digitally targeted ads um and was worked very close with jared kushner on 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 doing all this while we're all paying attention to the main you know the the speeches and the, and the big developments and the uh and 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 the ad campaign on in the, in the old traditional media you know he was working this this digital component and right. and was seen as uh you know somewhat of a maestro of all of that if you look at the FEC reports, he, through his company, pulled in about a hundred million dollars, um, you know, over the course of the campaign. This, I can tell you, Rick, quietly. If you you don't take too long to do this, but you start talking to people who played significant roles in that campaign. And this is something that raised a lot of eyebrows, uh, and you've got a lot of people that have been sniping at Pascal since the end of the campaign, uh, people who quietly say, what, well, how did that guy get so much? Not to be fair, this is... Those are buys. It's those not, are buys. Not it's not, it's not like he pocketed $100 million. Uh, you know, this is... This is but, the, but the question that's asked, and we don't know the answer, is how much of that ended up staying with Pascal through commissions and, and whatnot. And we don't know. Maybe it was not much. Maybe it was a lot. But what, the, my point is, he already steps into this with some enemies within Trump land. So could this Which is very unusual to see kind of sniping and No, it's never it's never happened before. It would be historic. But could could this be President Trump trying explicitly taking a side in that sniping now and saying, "Look, this is my guy." He's got all these people outside, inside advisors who've got all the rivalries in the world. This, of course, would be a very coveted position in Republican politics in Trump world to run the next campaign, or at least be the first campaign manager for for Donald Trump. We know that he's gone through them in the past. Maybe what are the but, odds that he's the last? Yeah, exactly, exactly. What a, what a job in politics that is. But I mean, one guy deserves a hell of a lot of credit, or, or got a lot of the credit, and, yeah. and that was the sixty minutes piece was was largely on this. Of doing this, but you know he's not somebody that came from the political world at all, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily a bad thing in the context of this, Trump, of this campaign. Yeah. But um, running the digital operation and running a campaign would be very different things. This will be interesting because he's never done anything remotely like this. That's right. And and look, the, the, surviving this and, and getting through this, we'll see what Trump brings the next time. But it, the, the, this is this is an odd. This is an odd development that I feel like we're going to hear a lot more about. Why Mueller? he would Mueller? Mueller? Well, oh, well, did we discuss him? Did we talk about him? Just a we, quick thing on that. I... Well, we know we know that that Pascal's already been into the congressional committees, and we know that Mueller has expressed some interest in some of the folks uh, in the in the at the RNC end and in the digital operation. Those are questions out there that have to do with potentially with collusion. What happened to all the money? All of those Rick, things. Rick, there was linger. no collusion. I know, I know. I've I've heard that. I've heard that before from the president. Uh, but if there was collusion, they may have happened in the digital end, and the. the there's there's definitely ways that you can look at this. We know how the Russians tried to influence the campaign, according to Bob Mueller, uh, using digital advertising, whether that was witting or unwitting in Mueller's term, uh, participants on the other side. Uh, I, I'm curious to see how all that fits together ultimately, because otherwise this is a very random thing to happen in February. All right, let's take a very quick break. And, and uh, David Rind, our producer, if you can make this a very short break, I would appreciate it, because we have a guest that I am very interested in, uh, Brian Mast, Republican from Florida, uh, double amputee, uh, Bronze Star, Purple Heart, uh, many other uh, decorations from his time in Afghanistan, 12-year Army veteran, extremely interesting guy. The guy, uh, as, as I mentioned, does carry a 9 millimeter concealed carry. 
Uh, he was endorsed by the NRA uh, as, as a candidate, and he has stepped forward to be the one and only Republican in the House to say he wants a ban on assault weapons. I'm very interested to talk to him about this. We'll be back in just a moment. Are you hiring? Join the over 3 million businesses that use Indeed.com for hiring. You can post a job in minutes and manage your candidates from an easy-to-use dashboard. Post your next job on the world's number one job site, Indeed.com. All right, joining us now is Florida Republican Congressman Brian Mast of the 18th Congressional District. Can, you know, so many spring training oh, facilities the right best. there in the district. Great place Con- to be in March. <laughs> Congressman, thank you for joining we got us. got a lot of good stuff. So uh, you um, made quite a splash uh, uh, by coming out. I-, I believe you are the only Republican in the House of Representatives to do this, but coming out in the wake of the Parkland shooting in favor of of an assault weapons ban and various other measures to kind of deal with this, uh, what seems to be an epidemic of gun violence in the country. I, I want to get into the specifics of, of what you're proposing, but um, I think it's important for our, our, our viewers to know, our listeners uh, to know exactly who you are, uh, freshman member of Congress, of course, but you are also somebody uh, who is an Army veteran for 12 years, Bronze Star, Army Commendation Medal for Valor, Valor Purple Heart, um, Defense meritorious, uh, meritorious Service Medal. You lost both of your legs in Afghanistan defu- defusing an IED. You are somebody who knows what it's like to be in the field of battle. And you have come out with this rather you know, dramatic statement. My question, my first question to you is, what kind of blowback have you had since coming out with this proposal? I, you know, I probably fully haven't realized what the blowback is of this, but it was never the concern. The concern was to say, do we have an opportunity here to save life? Because I always tell people, or I used to always tell people when I was a candidate, certainly, you know, the one thing you can count on me to do when I'm in Washington is serve the way that I did on the battlefield. That's without regard for any personal gain. That's without regard for any personal sacrifice, because that's the way every veteran who has given their life in defense of this incredible nation has done it. That was my commitment. I never worried about becoming a casualty because it was in the effort of saving lives. That was my job as a bomb technician. If anybody thinks I'm going to worry about being some political casualty, it's going to be the last thing on my mind ever. I try to do what's right. But as as you know, you are the only Republican to do this, the only one. And first of all, did you have did the NRA support your uh, your campaign? Yes, they did. And and what have you heard from them? What have you heard through social media? What 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 have you heard um, from from some of the people who supported your campaign on this proposal? I haven't heard from the NRAs, but uh, but I don't have to hear from them to know that, that we are probably at odds on this. Uh, I've heard from a great number of people in and around my district that, one, want to know what it is that I'm proposing. How did I get to this? What am I thinking on this issue? Um, some people that have whispered in my ear, hey, you're right on this. You know, maybe they don't feel comfortable kind of yelling it, you know, out loud, but they say, hey, you're right on this. Some people that, you know, want to have it out in a debate with me and, and are open to seeing who's at the right place. And some of them that absolutely despise what I've said. You know, uh, you can imagine I've received the gamut of reactions. 
I'm curious, your, your diagnosis of this as a, as a political issue, you've been in Washington for a year now, and uh, this, is, uh, this is clearly not a new issue, gun violence, school violence, not new issues. What's wrong with the way the debate has been framed, in your view, if you think there's anything wrong with it at all, that, that's, that's kept a paralysis around the issue, that this is the first time, really, at least since Sandy Hook, that that it seems like there's any incentive or any likelihood of even discussing gun rights and gun violence. I'll think I tell you where we get the pro- where we get the paralysis here in Washington, and it comes from both sides of the argument. One of it is, of course, on the right, where any time that we have a, a conversation about changing anything, having related to relating to gun laws, it's interpreted as you know somebody turning their back on the Second Amendment, having no respect for it whatsoever. And I tell people. I'm a rabid concealed carry person. I'm usually carrying a 9mm Glock with me. That's my concealed weapon of choice. I want that ability to go out there and defend myself. That's important to me. It's important to my family. My family has confidence that they're, that they're safe with me with my ability to brandish a firearm. On the other side of the issue, we get inflammatory statements from people that are absolutely not true, you know, from, you know, saying that, that, Nobody wants to confiscate firearms when, in fact, there are a great number of people that are constantly calling for going into people's home and the confiscation of firearms. And, you know, so I think you get you get statements on both sides of the aisle that leads it to a great deal of fear on both sides of the aisle that leads to that paralysis. And, it, and it's dangerous. If, if more of your colleagues or if all of your colleagues were familiar with what an AR-15 is and what it does to a human body, do you believe there would be an assault weapons ban? Yes, I think that that can absolutely lend itself to to that. You look at, or I look at it personally. I'll say it how I look at it personally. I was given this weapon very similar to an AR-15. It's not an AR-15. It's very similar. I was given an M4 carbine. One of the big differences is my weapon had a three-round burst option on it. Uh, AR-15s don't, uh, so that would be one of the big points on there. But I was given my weapon. Uh, you know, M4 carbine, 14 and a half inch barrel, flash suppressor, uh, ACOG sight, Trigicon sight, extended charging handle. I usually carried 10 magazines uh, of about 20 rounds, 20 rounds of 5.56 ammunition apiece. Um, you know, this was my setup because the U.S. Army said, this is the best tool that we can give you to kill our enemies. That's the best thing that we can give you right now to put in your hands in the most dangerous country on the face of the earth. That's what they told me. And I have to look at it and say, that tool that they gave me is not suited for unfettered access to every person because they're 18 years or older. It's just not. We're not the safer society because of that. So what do you say to those who say an assault weapons ban, first of all, doesn't work because it, there's a question of defining what exactly an assault weapon is, and you ban the AR-15 and other so-called assault weapons. You'll have other semi-automatic uh, rifles that essentially do the same thing but might be a little bit different cosmetically that would still be legal. What do, what do, you, what, what, what do you say to that argument? I know all of the detractions, and I could list many, many more. The first thing that I say to that argument is this, is that just because we can't do everything, that doesn't mean that, that we do nothing. That can't be the approach. And, and just because people will break the law, that shouldn't cease us from doing a piece of legislation because we're worried people will break the, the laws, uh, you know, that legislation that we passed. That can't be the way that we conduct our operations here in Washington, D.C. So that's the first thing that I tell people. Um, 
you know, beyond that, there's there's a lot more. I can point to the fact that I agree. There are no evil weapons. There's no evil gun, no evil firearm, no evil pistol or rifle. They're a tool in the hands of evil people or good people. And that's the truth of the issue. But it cannot be denied that Stephen Paddock in Las Vegas used this weapon. And that Omar Mateen in, uh, in the Pulse nightclub in Orlando used this weapon. And that Nicholas Cruz in Parkland used this weapon. And the most bipartisan thing that I've heard, Republicans, Democrats, independents, is to hear them say, I don't have confidence in the system. What happened with the FBI? What happened with the state agencies? What happened at all of these different levels? So if nobody has confidence in the ability of the federal government to screen out that next mass shooter, how do we not pause and look at everything surrounding this and get back to the American people with the most common set solutions that we can come up with as a Congress? We owe the people that. So as you know, uh, that you're a Republican. Republicans control the House. They control the Senate. That means you control the, the debate, the floor schedule. What is your plea to House Republican leadership when it comes to dealing with gun legislation? What do you feel like needs to be voted on sooner rather than later? So the 30,000-foot the piece of it, because I literally think there are dozens of things that need to be looked at and voted on from mental health to access to what what kind of firearms are what uh to to funding uh, on different elements there's a lot of things that have to be looked at what i want to see i've called for from the administration from the president and what i would love to see from him is to say let's look at this let's do a pause let's pause on selling these weapons that have been used in these incidents just like the travel ban. We're all familiar with the travel ban. Right. We're going to pause for 30 or 60 or 90 days or however long it is to assess who has access, what they have access to, what the agencies are doing about this. Let's do that with these firearms, and let's assess everything about it, and then let's come up with the solutions, and let's present the solutions, and let's vote on it. But let's do something immediately right now from the executive branch. That's been my call. So a pause in all firearm sales or, 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 or automatic weapon sales you're talking about? So that's one of the other places people get confused. Uh, one, you can't go out there and purchase an automatic weapon. The, the line would be... Semi-automatic. Uh, semi, yeah, people. I'm sorry. Semi-automatic. Semi I mean, you know, Rick, this is a Long Island guy. Inappropriate. <laughs> exactly. I, I just bring that up because it's one of those places that you were asking before. Where do people get caught up in this? Well, this is where, you know, we get inflammatory things on both sides. People get upset about the terminology. That's why I bring it up. Um, for me, I think a great line to define where I would, where I would ask the, the executive branch to look at this would be to say, let's put a line on gas-operated rifles right now. Gas-operated rifles would encompass the AR-15. That would encompass the AK-47, the Kalashnikov. Um, you know, these type of firearms that would fall into that. That would be a very simple line to take, which would be to say, gas-operated rifles. Let's put a, you know, let's put a hold on these right now and look at all of those things because everybody has great ideas and at the same time, nobody can agree on the ideas. So, so let's pause it and let's look at them all. And to be clear, you're talking about a pause on new weapon sales or how does that work? Because obviously there are, how, how, how many of these weapons are in the United States right now? Millions. Yeah. I'm looking at a pause on the, the future sales of firearms right now. That's what I would like to see the president do. Take his model of the travel ban and layer it on on what you could call a tactical rifle or an assault rifle or whatever the terminology is that you want to use on that. Um, that's what I would like to see the president do as an immediate action. Would, would, would that so right now? So sales by anybody that would be gun dealer sales of new weapons, but also personal sales of 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 used weapons. 
Absolutely. You know, I used to have somebody that would say to me, you know, there's, there's no such thing as being half pregnant, right? You have to, if you think it's good in one place, you know, it's good across the board. You have to go full throttle with that. Um, so let, let me ask you how, I mean, like I said, this, this, your, your statement on this, and you had this op-ed in, in, the, in the New York Times outlining your idea for a pause and some other of what you described as common sense uh, measures that could be taken now. What, what made you come out with this? When, when did you decide? How, how did this all work? I mean, obviously you were reacting to, to Parkland. And, 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 and what, what happened in your own state, but what, what was it that triggered you, excuse my use of that word, but, but what, what was it that, that caused you to come out and make this, again, rather dramatic stand that puts you against every single member of your party in, in, in the House? So, of course, Parkland. I'm immediately reflecting on what happened in Parkland. I used to live in Parkland uh, just this past week. Uh, I was there at the, the funeral of Coach Aaron Feist, a man that I knew. Um, so, of course, that is 100% in my mind. But what really brought me to penning that op-ed where I was putting my, my thoughts and my opinions down on paper was sitting out in a public area. My kids are playing, my children, my three children, they're playing in a pool with probably 50, 60, 70 other children and uh, adults sitting around this area. And I'm looking up at, at all of the, the high places, all of the balconies where I'm at there, and thinking about what happened in Las Vegas. And thinking about, I was sitting there with my concealed carry, 9mm, and thinking that I would be a sitting duck and my children would be a sitting duck for anybody that was sitting up on one of those balconies, had barricaded themselves in a room, and were ready to go out there and, and induce that kind of carnage. That's what really got me thinking about that, was the threat to my family and the threat to my children. And saying, yeah, this is a big conversation about what we do in schools, and we need to come down on what can we do to get to the point of not one more death in a school again ever. How do we get to that point in the United States of America? But that can't be the only place that we look. We saw what happened at a concert. This can happen out in a park. This can happen in a movie theater. So we can't think just so narrowly on what goes on in schools. And that's where I actually started thinking about this, was as I was sitting there by a pool watching my children. Uh, what, what's your sense on the president's proposal to, to arm teachers, uh, to, to at least open it up as, as an opportunity? Is that, is that a prospect that you're comfortable with? you think it's something that should be pursued? It's an option. It's not an end-all, be-all. I always tell people there are some great candidates out there as teachers, as faculty, former Marines, former soldiers, former law enforcement that, uh, you know, that are in the school system that are already comfortable carrying you know, some sort of firearm platform. Maybe they even already have their concealed carry permit. They've had a great deal of training on identifying a threat versus identifying a friendly. These are important things that need to occur, and they don't happen overnight. They happen through repetition of firing thousands of rounds. I've fired tens of thousands of rounds, maybe even over you know, hundreds of thousands of rounds. Um, that being said, we have to remember Teachers are people, too. Teachers are people that have their own problems at home. They have their own problems at work. They have, you know, they have their own issues, and we have to be very careful about what we put in a teacher's hands as well. Um, imagine if one of them left a firearm laying around in a school. Imagine if one of them identified you know, a, a friendly student as a threat, and that wasn't the case, and, and, and you know, fired at a student. So there are a lot of things to think about that. But that's where I, cause, that's where I call for this pause. Let's have a pause, and let's talk about all these issues, but let's not, let's not do nothing in the meantime. So, Congressman, I know you have to go. Uh, I just want to say uh, thank you for joining us on Powerhouse Politics. You've, you've only been in the House for a year. 
Um, I can imagine that uh, some would look agree or disagree with your proposal here. It is refreshing to hear somebody who is willing to come out with a proposal uh, and not uh, and, 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 and not be concerned that it doesn't tow with the party line and, and, and not be concerned with the, uh, you know, the, the, the blowback. Uh, of course, you've seen blowback far greater than virtually anybody else in the Congress uh, has seen. I mean, there are a few. There are a few that, 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 that have seen some of what you've seen. But, uh, uh, but, but, but you know what it's like to, to truly be in the line of fire. Thank you for joining us here on Powerhouse Politics. I wish you all the best. Thank you, Congressman. Um, I mean, Rick, the, the first thing that comes to mind listening to his proposals, uh, I have to say, is that, as we pointed out, he, he's against every single member of his party on right. this. But the other thing is, in my discussions with people in the House leadership, there is nothing that is going to happen. There is nothing in the current environment that they are going to uh, to, to bring up. They've, they have they did the one vote on this, uh, the fixed Fix next bill that basically kind of does some improvements to the way background checks works by forcing federal agencies to, uh, to to do what they're already supposed to do in terms of sharing information. But this is a proposal fully supported by the NRA, and the House passed that by including an absolute no-go poison pill for any anybody on the other side, uh, basically allowing concealed care, carry permits to, to go across state right. lines. Um, I Beyond possibly seeing that bill go through and and in a in a you know a standalone i don't see any momentum at all with the house leadership to do anything am i wrong am i missing anything no you you ha- you're not and i think from the president's perspective we've heard about him lunching with the nra and saying don't worry about the nra and uh, backing away it would seem from some of the discussions around age limits no talk about an assault weapons ban whatsoever and without that pressure from the president i don't think you're going to change the equation in the house i am interested to hear congressman mast say he hasn't heard from the nra uh because in other circumstances if a republican House member who's received NRA backing before says, I want a pause on the sale of all assault weapons. Including private sales. Including private sales. That is, they would bring down some fury on that freshman Republican member of Congress. So Uh, will they come down? Is is, is, is he going to face a primary challenge next time around? I mean, how, because you're right, if he emerges unscathed coming out from this, that, 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 sends a message. Do they dare take on a, a double amputee decorated uh, war veteran hero? War hero. Uh, do they dare take on someone who, with who, personal who, connections? Who carries to, his own, you know, nine millimeter. This and, is not some And someone who of, had personal connections to at least one of the victims in yeah. Parkland, to know one of the victims directly in Florida, which has been the site of two ma- major shootings now in, in just the last year and a half or so between the, the, the nightclub and, uh, and, and Parkland. Uh, do they dare? I, it, it's hard to imagine do they dare let him off do they without dare let challenging him, off? him it makes it no it makes it intriguing and i think that the challenge that he presents the leadership is someone who's now talking quite forcefully and openly about these things knowing firsthand uh you could easily see him th- this mission begin to, to to gain some momentum because without that without people standing up like this you're right we've seen the movie before we know it's how a it unique ends. and powerful voice to come out and do this 100 percent and somebody that was not on most people's radar, you know, I mean, he's, a, he's one of the first year guys that came in. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, you know, stands out a bit because of his, you know, war, you know, status as, uh, you know, a decorated war hero. Um, but, but he was not somebody on, 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 on most people's radar outside of his district. And here you go. It's a dramatic step. 
It's a dramatic step. All right, Rick, uh, that's all the time we have here on Powerhouse Politics. We will be back next week, or maybe I've got a feeling even sooner. 